Take your Bibles and turn with me to, to Luke's Gospel, the very last chapter in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. As we consider this morning the resurrection of our Lord. Last Sunday we looked at Christ betrayed and crucified, and the scripture readings today kind of uh, place Jesus in the grave, and now we want to get him out of the grave. And uh, that's what we're going to tend to do or attempt to do this morning. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. We're going to read an extended passage this morning. I don't normally do that, but today I want you to hear Luke's account. You've heard Matthew's, you've heard Mark's. Now I want you to hear Luke's. Follow along with me and hear the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered up into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? A little bit of rebuke there. Don't you remember this? Don't you remember he told you this? Let's come back to that in a minute. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and Johanna, and Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to the apostles as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling. The word marveling could be translated as being confused, or it could be translated rejoicing, but marveling at what had happened. Resurrection scene number one. Now here, number two. And behold, two of them, two of those who had been in Jerusalem, were were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached them and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you exchange with one another as you are walking? And they stood still. They stopped. And they were looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which has happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he, 
that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it was the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. They did not find his body. And they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in Scripture. And they approached the village they were, where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their midst, from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now they just told him it's too late to go on the road. And yet they get back out sometime later and they go back to Jerusalem. And they found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Resurrection. Scene number two. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. Can you get this? They're not getting this. They thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, it is I, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you got anything here to eat? Isn't that a strange request in the midst of all this? I, I think it's a little humorous, to be honest with you. Okay, you see I've got a body. You see I've got flesh and bones. You see I'm, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost in your presence. And So if you got anything I can eat, I'm hungry. And they gave him a piece of boiled, broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Resurrection scene number three. And then finally he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, this is written that the Christ, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, 
and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending you forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In order to fully grasp the amazement of Easter morning, even as we sit here 2,000 years removed in Somerset, Kentucky at Grace Baptist Church, in order to fully grasp the amazement of Easter morning, there's one precondition. You must realize that no one 2,000 years ago was expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. Not a single one. The women went to the tomb and they took spices to anoint the body for proper burial so that it would be in its proper place for the rest of time, as far as they knew. They went there to honor him. They went there to, to, to say we loved him and cared about him and we want to we give him a proper burial. None of them anticipated the body being gone and the grave clothes just laying there on the stone slab. Not a single one of them. Those two disciples who had been with them when the women had come back and said he was risen, they said he's not there. And then Peter went and saw it and saw that he was not there. They heard all of that. They saw the testimony of that. And then they're walking on the road to Emmaus and they're sad. And Jesus appears to them, comes in their presence. They're blocked from seeing who he really is. And, and as they're walking, they're talking about what had taken place and how sad they were and and Jesus says, well, why are you sad? And they said, are you the only man in Jerusalem these days and you don't know what took place? We're talking about all the things that happened to Jesus in Nazarene. We're talking about how he was arrested and, and, and tried in a, in a sham of a trial and, and, and hung on a cross and died there and was buried. Now, some of them say he came back alive, but we don't really buy that, you see. It wasn't until he broke the bread with them. After he explained to them from the law of Moses, from the prophets and from the Psalms, all that had to happen about the, the Messiah, but it wasn't until they saw him again breaking the bread. No doubt they were there with the, uh, with the 11, starting out with the 12, when that last supper was observed. They may not have been sitting around Michelangelo's table, but they were obviously there. When he broke the bread and when he blessed it, they recognized him. And they got up, he left, they got up, and they ran back to Jerusalem, and they said, we have seen him, he's alive. He explained to us all of these things. <laughs> they told the disciples, they told them he had appeared, they related their experiences, and all of that, and they still didn't believe him. And finally, he appeared to them in midst of the room with the disciples there and said peace to you why are you troubled why do doubts arise look at my hands look at my feet they thought they saw a ghost he said I'm not a ghost I'm flesh and blood give me something to eat ghosts don't eat food and he ate it but if you don't realize that no one was expecting that in that first epistle uh, in that first century, rather, you might believe all the lies that surrounded it and surrounded even until this day that say, hey, it's just a myth. 
why these, these gospel writers just made it all up. Let me tell you, there's one thing here that shows this was not made up by the later church, and that is, excuse me, ladies, but they had women bringing the first news. Nobody who wanted to falsify an account would have had women bringing the first news because nobody be would believe them. Sorry, it's different today, that's good. But in that day, nobody would have believed the women, and, and nobody writing a story to falsify a resurrection would have said, well, let's just start with women. Because the whole world would have said that's ludicrous. And to some degree, they did. I tell you what, Christianity is the most falsifiable religion in all the world, yet it survived. It's the most falsifiable, you know, it's the easiest to deny. It's the easiest to disprove in all the world. All you got to do is show the body. All you got to do is show that the grave was not empty and he did not appear to these different people. You say, well, how can you prove that? Well, it, 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 you got all the Romans had to do, all the Jewish leaders had to do, was say, you think he's alive? You're out of your mind. Here's the body of Jesus. And they couldn't do that. I, I, I want to show you a little artwork here. This, this is kind of amazing to me. It's Christianity versus other religions, beginnings. Now, this is not my artwork. It's much better than my artwork would be. But how Christianity started... It started after a public ministry. Christ was killed publicly. It wasn't in, the, in, in secret. It wasn't hidden away somewhere. It was in front of everybody, hanging on a cross, the crowds all around. And after that, Christ rose from a public grave, a public tomb, publicly. Again, it wasn't hidden. Anybody could see it. Anybody could see that the grave was empty. And after that, he he publicly showed himself to the public. He said, here I am. Paul says, in, from our opening scripture, Paul says that he appeared to 500 people at one time. That doesn't count all the others that he appeared to before that 500, before he ascended into heaven. And so the public that heard and saw him told everyone they saw. And again, all you got to do to deny or to, to show the false, falseness of Christianity, just produce a body. That's all they had to do. Show that they went to the wrong grave. Some said he went to the wrong grave. Say, no, no, here's the right grave. Roll back the stone and say, there he is. Never was done. Other religions, on the other hand, every other religion on the face of the earth, no religion ever claims what Christianity claims. Others generally start with a private dream about God or private, angelic encounter about God, or a, a private idea about God. This is how I think God ought to be, and I'll start writing about it and talking about it. And, and then one person told everybody he saw. It wasn't the public telling everybody they saw. Do you see the difference in those two? An idea, a dream, an angelic encounter... And people follow that. People will listen to that. People will say, oh, yeah, that, oh, that's a great idea. There, there are movies showing right now at the theater that I tell you what. People will go and say, oh, man, I didn't know heaven was like that. You know why you didn't know heaven was like that? Because heaven's not like that. It's a fanciful dream made up by the imagination of not just the boy who had the dream, but those who have 
exploited in every sense that particular thing happened. And, and people kind of say, man, I, I don't know heaven was like that. Let me tell you, you know what heaven's like? Go to the Word of God. Go to the revelation of God. Not to some fanciful dream. Not to some man's idea. But you've got to understand, none of those disciples, even after encounters with Christ, believed that he was there, that he was alive. They just couldn't believe it. They, they, they almost had the idea that, that, you know, it was just too good to be true. That it was just, just you know, it would be great if he was alive, but how can we believe that? We know that dead people don't get up from their grave. Dead people stay dead. That's the normal route for all mankind. I like what Frederick Buchner said. He said, it's not only not too good to be true, it was too good not to be true. It's too good not to be true. It was the revelation of Almighty God coming to earth, and from now on, after this point, nothing will ever be the same again for those who come into an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing will ever be the same the resurrection is without a doubt the most shocking event of all history. It's more shocking than the World Trade Center's being bombed. It's, it's, more, it's more shocking than a, a world war that takes the lives of millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people. It's more shocking than, than anything you can imagine. It is the most shocking event of all of history. And those on the, Damascus, on the, on the Emmaus Road... Those who were walking there, grieving, knowing that the tomb was empty, but just yet not being able to quite grasp it, they struggle with that. And then Luke, as is his, his normal way of doing it, he makes it clear from Moses, through the prophets, through the Psalms, it talked about everything that took place in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ falsifiable religion. You can't take Muhammad's religion and falsify it as easily. Because Muhammad had a vision and an encounter that he claims in private, nobody else around, and he came forth and he said, this is true. You, you can't falsify, well maybe you can logically, but falsify Joseph Smith's idea because he says he found these golden tablets and an angel, Moroni, interpreted it for him and there he had it all and he had it himself but there was nobody there to see it. It was him and his idea and his experience. Luke says, I want you to see Jesus did all this out in the open. He did all this out in public. And then he told us. I wish Luke had given the references. I wish he had said, he went to Moses, and the law of Moses, and he showed this and this and this. Then he went to the prophets, and he showed this and this. And then he went to the Psalms, and he showed this. We have that dispersed throughout the Gospels. But I'd love to have known exactly what Jesus told him. Wouldn't you? We don't know. But we do know he went to those sources, the old covenant, the promises, that were going to be fulfilled in one man who was the Son of God, one man who had come to earth, one man who was suffered and died in the place of multitudes. That we might live. The disciples doubted. 
wasn't just Thomas that doubted. They all doubted. It wasn't just Thomas that said, I've got to see your feet and your hands, your side, and I've got to see all these things. It was all of them. And they came to that realization, finally, that Jesus Christ was risen. The, the, the resurrection gives the message of the gospel great power in the world. The resurrection is that linchpin idea, that, that linchpin point, that again, if you can disprove that, if you can show it to be untrue, then, then Christianity falls apart. It's that one thing that says, you know when Jesus said, I am the bread and the one who comes to me will never hunger? I am the water, the one who comes to me will never thirst. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The one who comes to me will never die, but will have eternal life. You, you know, all of those things that Jesus said, and when he died, everybody in his presence, and everybody in Jerusalem, and everybody in Palestine said, well, what about all those things he said? What about all those claims that he made? What about those miracles we saw with our eyes performed? They must have just been magic. They must have just been a sleight of hand. They, they must have been something else. But that resurrection, that empty tomb, oh, well, maybe the disciples came and stole the body. The gospel writers are clear that the disciples... And then they perpetrated this lie. He's, he's really risen. <laughs> we, 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 they stole the body, but we've got it somewhere. But we'll just tell everybody this lie. Listen, those disciples doubted the resurrection. They were fearful for their own lives. They, they thought about if we go back anywhere near that tomb, all except these brave women. And then Peter, after they found out he wasn't there and the guard was gone, you know, no, they didn't steal the body. They were scared to death. Well, some of the accounts say they went back and told Pilate and, 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 and told the chief priest, and they said, oh, don't worry about it. Just go out and tell the people that while you were sleeping, they came and uh, they, the disciples snuck in and stole the body. Just, just say that. And listen, those guard, those Roman guard, would have been beating themselves about the head to stay awake because the punishment for falling asleep on guard was death and you notice they said listen when it gets back to your superiors we'll take care of it don't worry about it you don't have to worry about dying others said well you know just for safekeeping i mean this this uh this deceiver said he was going to come back to life so we've got to do something so let's us go get the body and hide it somewhere and and then that'll be taken care of well that's that's all well and good and, and that would have made proper sense in one sense of the word but then when they started spreading the word throughout Jerusalem, as I've said before, why did they not just take the body, put it on a cart, and parade it through the streets of Jerusalem and say, here's the body, here's the body. He's not risen. He's just as dead as he was when we took him down from the cross. You know why they didn't do that? Because they couldn't do that. You know why they didn't do that? It's because he is alive. But perhaps, if you look at these women, and if you look at these disciples, and if you look at these two on the road to Emmaus, and if you look at the disciples after they come back to them, and their doubts continuing to think, perhaps we should be less surprised when people 
initially stumble over the resurrection in our day. Perhaps we shouldn't be so shocked by it. Perhaps we shouldn't be so surprised by it. Because it really took the truth being opened in verse 45, and then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Listen, the skeptic will always disbelieve. The skeptic who wants to disbelieve will always disbelieve. Just understand that. To the skeptic, it will always sound fanciful. To the one who says, I really open myself to believe that there could be truth in this, there will always be a misunderstanding. They will always not believe. But when he begins by his Holy Spirit to open and soften and teach and draw and give insight, it changes everything. See, that's what Luke wants us to see. Luke wants us to see that, one, Jesus is alive. There is no doubt. There is no equivocation. There is nothing to be doubted. Jesus is alive. And and then he wants us to see that when those come into an understanding of it, they will then see that, and it will change their life forever. It will change your life forever. You see the truth of his resurrection. You know, in these three accounts, you have verses 1 through 12 that just highlight the empty tomb. It is empty. You, you have verses 13 through 35 that present the appearance of Jesus out of the tomb and stress how Scripture prophesied and pointed to this completely, the resurrection. And then you have 36 through 49 that pre- present and reveal Jesus' post-resurrection commission to his disciples. He says, listen, it's written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Right there in that little upper room. Right there in that little upper room. They were changed. And Jesus simply said this. You're witnesses of this. You've seen this. You've experienced this. You've seen the reality of the truth of the prophecy. You've seen the reality of me being alive in your presence. Now go and take it to the world. And Those in that upper room, 12 plus, 11 plus, the women and other disciples that were not named among the original apostles, but they were disciples of Christ. Even Joseph of Arimathea. Go. Tell the world. Tell them he's alive. Tell them the grave is empty. Tell them that he really did appear to us. It was no hallucination. It was no dream. We weren't anticipating this. We weren't hoping for this. We weren't thinking just maybe it'll happen. No, we thought it was foolishness. But it happened. Fast forward 2,000 years. He's still alive. He's still alive. 
The only grave of any religious leader, and I use that word religious loosely, the only grave of any religious leader that is still empty. No bones, no decay, no death. Because he's alive. If you've come to faith in him, you've seen that resurrection power in your own life. If you've come to faith in him, if you've trusted him, if you have had, as he said himself, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins proclaimed in his name, and you believe that, and you've trusted that, and you've come to repentance, and you sought that forgiveness, he says, I want you to know you are forgiven, and the risen Lord Jesus Christ indwells your life. He's alive. I realize that sounds very suspicious, very skeptical, very unscientific, very unmodern. You can go on and on. It's un a lot of things. There's only one thing it's not un. It's not untruth. It is the truth. I had somebody about 10 days ago I was talking with here in town. And his question was very simple. He said, do you really believe? I mean, honestly, Bill, couldn't it have been a spiritual resurrection? Couldn't it have just been, you know, everybody got excited and said, let's just believe he's alive. Do you really believe he rose from the dead? Yes, I do. The historical facts are there. The reality of the prophecies are there. The power of God makes it known today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is alive, living, no dead, no dead deity. He's alive. Let's pray. I think God has you here, whoever you are, for a reason this morning. A reason beyond just going to church. I believe he wanted you to hear that he is alive. And he wants to show to you that he is alive. And he, by his Holy Spirit, will give you a desire to know that. And I pray right now that that's exactly what will be working in your life if you're here and you're, you're not a believer, not a Christian this morning. I pray that God will speak that truth clearly into your heart and your mind. We haven't had a lot of time to deal with the absolute evidence. I've talked about it some. It's, it's much greater than anything I have time to do in a one sermon, but I want you to know the evidence is clear. That tomb was empty, and there was no body to be found. He is alive. Father, this morning as we come to the close of this service, 
pray, Lord, first and foremost that you will open hearts and open eyes to see and believe. First, to see their own sin, their rebellion against you, their disobedience to your truth, their trying to be their own God in their own life. And I pray, Lord, you'll show them that sin and then show them the Savior. Christ who bore on his own, in his own self the weight of our sin who believed. Father, I pray you draw men and women to yourself by faith, through your grace, by grace through your faith, through faith. In Jesus Christ alone. Father, we commit that to you. We ask you to do your work. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.